Uh, welcome to church, and what a special Sunday it is, and what a wonderful uh, opportunity to hear from Teresa. I had uh, heard about her story, but I hadn't listened to it until now, but every time someone talks about Teresa's story, they always say how they get teary, and uh, without fail, I got teary too, but it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful story. And it wasn't just about the poverty, and it was about Jesus' work through compassion. You know, like, that's the great thing, like, we can feed people and, um, and clothe people, and that's important, but people's eternities are being affected by the work of compassion. So that's, that's incredible. Well, I've got a question for you to think about. Are you content? Now, have a think about that. Would you say that you are content? Now, it's pretty difficult, isn't it, to be content if we're honest with ourselves, because there are all of these forces that work against us when it comes to especially material contentment. I don't know how many of you um, have Costco membership. Everyone joins Costco because they think, I'm going to save money, right? But anyone who's got Costco membership realizes that it just ends up, you just end up spending more money. Stuff that you never thought about buying, you're buying. And it's not just, you know, because it, it actually, they, the store is set up to make you do that. Like the whole store, the, 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 um, the architecture, where they, so for example, um, they, do you notice when you walk into Costco, all the big expensive TV items are up front? Like stuff that you would never buy because like $10,000 for like a screen that's, you know, the size of this church. But the reason why they have the expensive stuff up front is not so that you buy it, it's so that you can look at that and then you think everything else in the store is cheap. No, it's honestly, that's their, their strategy. They also, um, you know, don't, they're not like supermarkets where everything is nice and you shelves. Aldi does the same things. Often things are in, in, in bulk items, discount bins. Why do they do that? It's not because they couldn't be bothered shelving. It's because it makes you think it's cheaper. Yeah? Like the whole store, you've heard of the Gruen transfer, the Gruen principle. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of stuff. But of course, it makes it even harder for us now because it's not just Costco. It's social media that actually there are algorithms designed to keep us browsing so that we would keep looking at ads which are also now tailored to your browsing. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you're part of any conspiracy theories, but I, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I kind of think there's something going on here. Have you ever like just casually been on a phone call chatting to a friend about something and the next thing you know that very thing comes up as an ad? And you think, how did they know? It's not like I typed anything in. You know how it works. Um, I'm a pastor. I've been, uh, I just realized next year will be my 20th year as a pastor. It's a long time, isn't it? Um, I've talked to many um, and people have, uh, in terms of people confessing sins to me, okay? All sorts of sins, big and small. So, you know, anytime you come and you think, I've got this sin. I'm probably the only person who's ever struggled with it. I'm too ashamed. Chances are... I've already heard it, okay? So you're not alone. Come and talk to us. But here's the thing. I'll tell you, in all my almost 20 years of being a pastor, I can probably count on one hand or less, probably on three fingers, the times when someone has confessed to me the sin of greed. All sorts of other sins. Hardly ever the sin of greed or discontentment. And yet this is the sin that, believe it or not, Jesus speaks most about. Greed. And we minimize it. But you know, it's not just your sin, it's my sin, greed. You know, every year a, a new model of something comes out, okay? 
So for you, it may be phones or shoes. Lately, because I've been getting back into tennis, I keep looking at the newest model tennis rackets. Like, I've got two great rackets. They're just a couple of years old, but I'm just looking at the new one thinking, oh, gosh, I think the 2023 model will make me a better player. Right? And then, and then we, and I don't know about you, but we, when we upgrade these things, we almost talk about it as if it's a right. So it's a new model phone. I've got the iPhone 13, but the 14 is out. Of course I'm going to upgrade, right? right? Or the new racket or whatever it is. And no one kind of questions us, do they? About the rightness or wrongness of it, even if it costs thousands of dollars. Um, and when we buy that new phone or that new pair of shoes or take that holiday or do that reno, we just don't ask each other about that in our very wealthy Western culture. This is one sin that just goes under the... I mean, not, it's not always sinful. I'm not saying that. But did you see what I mean? Like, we never even say, hey, um, just wanted to check with you. Have you thought about whether this is driven by discontentment and greed? And the worst thing of all is, of course, this thing called greed is actually an addiction. It is an addiction. Uh, think about addictions. Addictions work on the principle of compulsive behavior driven by a need to get higher highs. Now, consumerism studies, actually, you don't even need studies to show you that, but consumerism is addictive behavior. We get hooked on the high of buying that thing, right? We get a dopamine fix, a dopamine high, because it feels good to own that new car, buy the new clothes, have the latest device. But of course, the high passes, and then we get discontent again, and we look for the next high. That's how it works. That's how advertising works. We're basically junkies. Now, deep down inside, I think we all know this is a problem. And once we talk about it being an addiction, like, you actually don't want to be discontent, do you? Because you don't want to be addicted. You want to be set free. And I wonder if today you're interested in the secret of being set free. We well, see, Paul, from the passage we read, actually shares the secret to contentment. Is this something you want? I hope it is. Look what he says. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Like, don't you want that? Imagine that. Whatever circumstances, you're content. Well, I've got five quick points. Uh, firstly, let's look at the context. What's Paul writing about? The Bible um, here in Philippians, it's a letter from Paul to the people, uh, Christians living in Philippi, a church that he founded. That's why it's called Philippians. Now, Paul is actually in prison, okay? Not a good situation. So, no income, no security, no way of providing for his own needs. Um, but the Philippian Christians, look what they did for him. Um, this letter mentions, verse 10, he wrote, he wrote, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. How did they show it? Uh, Verse 18, later on, I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I receive from Epaphroditus, their messenger, the gifts you sent. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Through Epaphroditus, one of the church members, the Christians in Philippi helped to supply Paul while he was in prison. 
And this really letter is a, is, a, is a thank you letter. Philippians, one of the most uplifting letters because it's full of thanks and gratitude about their partnership with him and their sending of their gifts. And, and Paul, though, he says, look, thank you, but look, I am content no matter what, no matter what the situation is, no matter how much or how little I have. So coming back to contentment. Um, and again, as I said, I think we all know this is something we want. Like, I want to be like Paul. Don't you want to be like Paul? Of course you do. Um, 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Right? Contentment is a kind of freedom. Right? It's the opposite of being addicted. But why is it so difficult? Why is contentment so difficult? Well, we could just blame, you know, the, the shopping malls and the Costco's and the algorithms on social media. But honestly, you know what the problem is, isn't it? The problem is our hearts. That's the problem. Contentment is so difficult because our hearts are greedy. And you know what the Bible says? It says that greed is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. I I don't know if you've ever um, tried to talk to someone who um, tries to convert from a a totally different religion, right? Um, Many people from my background, um, Chinese background, especially from Taiwan, you know, I think Taiwan has the most um, shrines per capita of almost anywhere in the world, okay? Um, it's hard to convert from another religion because idols are part of your identity. They shape your worldview. They shape your habits. Now, just because you're a Christian and follow Jesus doesn't mean you've let go of all of your idols. And it's equally hard for us to give up the idols that are in our hearts. You see, when it comes to idols... Um, there are actually surface idols and deep idols. Um, and so we often talk about how money and materialism can be an idol, and they can, and career or maybe relationships and sex, or even good things like family are idols. But can I just say that they are surface idols? That is, we might serve them and worship them um, and put them first in our lives, um, but actually deep down inside, well, deeper than them is another layer deeper idols that shape the surface idol. So I'll give you an example. Let's just take materialism or greed, for example. Um, So imagine a a couple. The wife loves to spend money. Like she just, you know, she's lavish about spending. She buys everything. But the husband is like a big scrimper, saver, scrooge. He he doesn't like spending at all, okay? He saves everything. He he counts every cent, you know? Um, Now, both of them, Right, have a different attitude to money in terms of spending or saving, but actually um, they're both driven in, in some way by greed, but they're driven by different idols. Do you see what I mean? Right? What's the reason why the wife wants to spend, spend, spend? What's the reason why the husband wants to save, save, save? It could be, for example, that what's driving the wife is one of the common idols when it comes to materialism. It's called approval. Approval. Um, Fashion, house, car, phone, keeping up with the Joneses or the Wongs, okay? Um, right? I've got to have these things so I can feel like I'm keeping up, so I feel like I've, I'm in with it. I've got the right clothes, the right car, um, right? That's the approval of others. Or sometimes it's, for parents, it's the approval of kids, you know? We've got to have certain things so that our kids will be happy. But for the husband, it, perhaps it's another reason, Perhaps it's the idol of power. That's the deep idol. What do I mean by power? Um, see, here's a tricky one, because often you don't know how much power money gives you until you don't have money. Yeah? 
or you go to a place where people are poor, where you hear about Teresa's family living in the slums, when you really see poverty as it is, you realize how much money gives you power. See, power can be power over others, right? That's one way in which power is. So have you ever um, wondered why successful and rich, famous people, especially celebrities, think that they can give advice about things they don't know anything about? Have you ever thought that? Like, you know, the successful people, the rich people, why is it that we even care what they think about X or Y when they have nothing to do with X or Y? It's because they get used to the power and the influence that money and success buys. But power can also be power over self and power over circumstances because money and material things offer security, don't they? That's a type of power. Control over your future. And poverty is so terrible. Because poverty actually makes a person so vulnerable. You have no control. When a fire rips through the slums, they had nowhere to go. The government didn't care about them. That's, it offers power, control. And so the husband may be wanting to save because deep down inside, he wants control, power over his circumstances. Now, people do this differently in terms of um, how uh, p- control or power works out. In the older generation, often it's to save or to invest well in big things like houses or making sure your superannuation's got enough. In the younger generation, as many of you, um, you've been given these things by your parents, okay? And so you tend to spend more gadgets, clothes, games, Because these things make you feel happy, but still there's some sort of emotional security that comes out of having them. Yeah? Right? So there's some of the deep idols. That's what makes contentment hard. And we're going to go to the next point, Jesus. Um, So how do we get true contentment? Well, true contentment can only come when you deal with those deep idols. Remember what I said? Why is contentment hard? It's not so much the advertising, um, the social media, it's our hearts. So at the level of our hearts, we need something to change. And it's not going to be by trying harder, but it's actually by having Jesus satisfy us. You got that? And so I want to ask you here, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, have you experienced the all-satisfying presence of Jesus? Because that's actually what God promises you. Look at Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Do you see, that's the key to having a heart that is content. It's when your heart is released from its idols, trying to get satisfaction from that which cannot satisfy, and to be filled by the all-satisfying presence of Jesus. And the way that Jesus does this is because Jesus actually deals with those deep idols. Yeah? So when it comes to approval, you know what the Bible says is that Jesus is the basis 
It's the reason we are approved by the only, from the only approval that really matters. That is, God approves of us. If you live your life thinking, I've got to earn God's favor all the time. I'm never going to be good enough for God. I'm too broken. I'm too shameful. You know what the Bible says? And Teresa said it from Ephesians chapter 2. It's by grace you've been saved. God says, I'm going to give it to you as a free gift. You don't have to earn it no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Jesus died for you. He paid for all your sin and shame. He's rose for you. He's perfect. And you get that perfection as a gift. God approves of you 100% always, no matter how broken you are. You can have that, right? You can have God's approval. That's the only approval that matters. What about power? Well, you, you know, our power over others, our control over the future or our happiness, like it's, a, it's an illusion, right? It's a total illusion. You talk to anyone who suddenly gets stricken by illness, things like cancer or some sort of chronic illness, you realize how powerless you really are. That's the truth. No matter how much you have, no matter how much control you think you have over your life, it only takes one thing, one little thing, and it can all come crumbling down. And the happiness and the feeling of completeness that buying something brings, it's such a short high, isn't it? What's true power? Well, true power is the power of having Jesus, who actually has power over all things. You notice that verse at the end, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. By the way, it's one of the most out-of-context taken passages in the Bible. You know, I can do everything. Oh, my HSC's coming up. I can do everything. You know, I need a new job. I can do everything. No, no, no. That, in context, though, in the passage we just saw, it means so much more, doesn't it? It's not a promise that you can claim in every circumstance. It's an experience of God's control over your life, even when you have nothing. In poverty, that's Paul's circumstance. Paul's saying, I can do all things, whether poor or rich. I can do all things. I can be content. I can be satisfied. That's what it means. That's real power. So Jesus actually gives us approval and power. Well, how does he do that? How does he give it to us? I've kind of already said it. Here's how Jesus gave us the approval that we need and the power. And that He went without. That's how. He went without so that we might have. That's how he does it. Look at these uh, passages from Philippians. Uh, Philippians 2, who being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich, rich in all the ways that really count. You see, Jesus gave up everything. He humbled himself for us. He gave up power, the power of being in heaven. <laughs> he gave up even acceptance before God the Father, because he took on our sin, and he was bearing our punishment, and God the Bible says the father turned his face away from his son. He gave up his power and acceptance so that we might have what he gave up for us, power and acceptance. So, finally, application. And it's simply this. Learn it. Learn contentment. You know, Paul said he had to learn it. Right? And we have to learn it from his example. 
You see, Paul says in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, um, just a verse earlier than the verse that we read, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. Do you know that? You've got to learn. It's not going to come naturally. It's not going to come just through one sermon. Think of anything you have to learn. Right? It's going to take repetition. It's going to take trial and error. It's going to take new habits. So when it comes to contentment, we've got to learn it. So here are some suggested applications. Number one, don't waste times of humbling. When your life is out of control, and we will all get there if you haven't already, when you experience suffering or illness or insecurity, or even you might experience relative to now poverty, maybe you'll lose your job, Maybe you'll lose your ability to work. Maybe we'll have another financial crisis. Or actually, everyone now is sort of feeling the economic pinch, right? I want to say that's a good time to learn. It's a good thing. It's not pleasant, but you often learn best in those circumstances. Sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Yeah? So don't waste those times of humbling. Number two, learn to live without. Have you ever denied yourself of something? Right, not something that you couldn't possibly afford, right? So maybe you're like, oh, yeah, I've denied myself of that new, you know, $100,000 car. Well, you weren't ever going to buy it anyway because you can't afford it. But I'm talking about something that you would otherwise have bought. Have you ever denied yourself of something? And in fact, it hurt that you've denied yourself because now you've got a phone that's like six years old. It's like six models out of date, right? And, and, and it, no longer, it no longer updates properly because they don't support your model of phone anymore. But have you ever denied yourself something until it hurt and then sought for God to fill it instead, right? It's sort of like a consumer fast. That can be really good. Learn to live without. Uh, number three, um, compare down instead of up. Isn't it interesting? Have you noticed when it comes to morals, everyone compares down. When it comes to money, everyone compares up, Right? When it comes to morals, you always think you're better than someone else because you're looking down. When it comes to money, you're always poorer than someone else because you're always looking up. It should be the other way around for both. Yeah? Especially when it comes to material things. Find models of contentment. Find models of humble living and emulate them. Remind yourself today of Teresa's story. Okay? No matter how poor you've been, you've probably never been that poor. <laughs> Okay, just remind yourself how much you have. Yeah? Yeah, it sucks that you can't afford to buy a house because you have to rent. You've got somewhere to live that's bigger than a toilet. <laughs> All right? So compare down instead of up. That's a learning thing. And number four, be painfully generous. Painfully generous. True generosity isn't giving out of your abundance. It isn't. Like who's... That's, I mean, relative to others, you might think I'm more generous. But again... It's not real generosity if you already have excess and you're just giving that or loaning that. True generosity is giving out of, right, out of a place where it actually hurts for you to give. And I wonder if that's the standard of true generosity, how many of us have actually been truly generous. <laughs> yeah? It's very hard to be, isn't it? But be painfully generous. And so something like Compassion Sunday comes up, but it doesn't even have to be on that. It can be anything, Right? Have you thought about being painfully generous, giving out of not the excess you have, but because it will actually cost you 
That's true generosity. But it's also freeing. And it'll teach you the secret of contentment. Let's pray. Let's get ready to sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you went without so that we might have. And on this Sunday where we're caused to think so much more about others, about releasing poverty in the name of Jesus, we know that it's just all show and all surface if you don't deal with our hearts. And so we ask you for forgiveness, for our greed, for our materialism, both individually and as a Western nation. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us, that you would uproot those idols, whatever they are, of approval or power, that you would satisfy us so that we can be your hands and feet and and painfully be generous, even if it costs us, because we also want to know the freedom of contentment. So please do that work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.